Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Odyssey House Journals. I'm Randall Carlyle, and I am pleased to announce a new co-host, a permanent co-host, unless you do a rotten job today, Rachel. Uh, Ra Ra Rachel Santizo. Rachel is a rock star in the recovery community. Uh, maybe you could just give us like a 30-second brief history of your, of your misdeeds and your good deeds. Um, so I used to live under cars, and now I am eight and a half years sober, and I'm really honored to be here with you, Randall. That was that was a lot quicker than 30 seconds. You you you, <laughs> you weren't you were a recovering addict, correct? Yes, yes. And that's why, and and you were down on the block, and that's why you were living under cars. Exactly. Yeah. If, if we wouldn't have explained that, it would have sounded pretty weird saying I used to live under cars. You know. I was going to make it quick. <laughs> did you have any favorite uh, model car you like to sleep under? Ooh, I think the dirtier, the better, because I felt like they wouldn't, they wouldn't run. And so I did. I like the run down dirty cars. Okay. Rachel is in recovery. I'm in recovery too. I was a functional alcoholic for decades uh, during my career as a TV news anchor. And now I work at Odyssey House and Rachel coincidentally works at Odyssey House as well. We do different jobs. And I should tell you, we have a new studio ready to go. But until the pandemic is over, we've got to do it like this. So and this is our, believe it or not, Rachel, our 64th Odyssey House Journal podcast. Wow, 64 is a good number. I'm excited for today. We have probably one of the more controversial, probably the most controversial topic we've ever covered. We'll get to that in a sec. I always try to impart one little piece of useless information before we go. Do you have any idea how many photos are posted to Facebook every single minute in the world? I'm gonna guess 500,000. Well, that's, that's a little high, but 147,000 photos every single minute. Yeah, that's too many. Our podcast is available on, uh, what's it on? Spotify, iTunes, YouTube. All you got to do is go to Google and Google Odyssey House Journals, and they'll tell you where you can either watch it or listen to it. Uh, and speaking of YouTube, uh, users upload 500 hours of video every single minute from YouTube. Wow, that's incredible. And really, we, we're on Facebook, too. And so we're a part of that 147,000. There you go. There you go. This, this podcast is, is aimed at uh, talking about everything dealing with uh, recovery and addiction. And so our guest today is, and I said it's going to be controversial. You saw the mystery man with his name up there on the screen. Tim, you can turn on your audio and your video if you want. Tim Keffer, he is case manager for Salt Lake City Police Department. He works at the Community Connection Center, specifically with people, and this is why it's controversial, on the sex offender registry. Welcome, Tim. Hey, thanks for having me. So, How are you guys doing? Well, we're doing great. We're doing great. The, um, you and I have had several conversations in the past, which is why I wanted to get you on. Uh, if you're if you're on the sex offender registry and you've got a substance use problem, where can you go for help? Um, well, right now, currently, you can do outpatient treatment, 
or you can go to detox or try to do it by yourself. What about residential treatment? Um, we get about, I'd say, 1% into residential treatment. And, and that's usually if we're, if they are willing to go three or four hours away. So, and in and, and total honesty, uh, Odyssey House will not accept, uh, generally will not accept people on the sex offender registry. Do you know the reason for that, uh, Rachel? I do. So my take on it is one that I personally have been a victim um, from being molested as a child. And so I think there's a lot of trauma, right? And that's why we go into treatment. And so if you're in treatment with someone that has, has done trauma like that, it is really hard to work through those things. And so there's no way that I could work through. And I think that there's a lot of individuals, whether if they're male or female that have been through sexual trauma, and that's, I think that can be a really big reason on why people use. And so it does, it does cause conflict. Um, and also another thing is, is that people that come, there's just a world that's created around sex offenders. If you have that name, there's a huge stigma um, and there's huge barriers created just off that title alone. And so people are coming in from being incarcerated. That is just absolutely two worlds that do not mix well together. And that is just the way that it is. So Tim, does that mean that people on the sex offender registry uh, with an addiction issue don't need help? Um, well, actually, the reason that I try to get everybody into substance abuse treatment or residential treatment if needed is just to lower victimization and to better their lives. Um, a fair amount of these guys were under the influence, they were drinking, they were high whenever the offense happened. Um, and I believe that if they are still high, still using, then that chance of victimizing someone else goes up. Um, so let's, let's, let's do a, some definition here. I mean, there's varying degrees of sex offenders. Uh, and in, in my opinion, I mean, everybody, thinks a sex offender who's a pedophile who molested a kid is terrible, okay? But there are varying degrees, like, it, like if you're 19 years old and you have sex with a 16-year-old, you, you go on the registry if you're convicted of statutory rape, right? Yeah. And, and so, and, and that's actually one of the issues with the registry um, and the information allowed is we have everybody from uh, people that were charged with four counts of lewdness being homeless to, you know, your most violent predators. And the lewdness um, could be, the lewdness could be just being caught peeing on, on, on the street or something, right? Or, or changing on the street because they're living on the streets. Um, it could also mean that they were high running down the street naked four times. It, it really varies on, on the charge. And because the, whenever the registry first came out, everybody that was on it, or I would say the vast majority of people that were on it really needed to be on it. Um, and if you was on it, you know, you earned it. Um, the umbrella has widened so, so far now that, um, you know, you have people with lewdness, you know, sexual misconduct, um, 
just a vast of charges. And the, you know, the way that people are charged changes from state to state. And, and so if you're on the registry for whatever reason, uh, how, how long are you on and, and how does that affect stuff like employment or, or finding a, a place to live or anything like that? So whenever you're on the registry in, say, in Utah, we have a 10-year and a lifetime. Um, and, and there's a few charges. I think there's five charges that um, if you have that exact charge, you can get off five years early. If you've never been found in non-compliance, you completed everything that's been asked of you. Um, but the rest, if you're on a lifetime, you're on a lifetime registry. So if you're on the sex offender registry, how long are you on it for and how's it affect your life, Tim? So in Utah, you will be on it for either 10 years or for life. And the 10 year stops or the 10 year starts um, as soon as you finish your probation or parole. So if you're on probation or parole for five or 10 years, as soon as that ends, then that's whenever the registry time starts. And, and how does it um, affect life? So um, as far as having a job, uh, we have to check employment. So you will have the sex offender registry calling and verifying that you actually work where you say you work. Um, if you are going to school, we will call and verify that you're going to school. And as far as housing, it, it, it causes a real issue. Um, just because, you know, whenever you register your address, um, a lot of these, a lot of the landlords and so forth don't want their address popping up whenever somebody does a registry search. So, and, and I should point out, I mean, obviously it's, it's, a, it's a horrible crime to commit, especially when you're talking about uh, molesting kids and things like that or rape or things things like that, but, but there are varying degrees and we're not, we're not right now talking about sympathy for these people as much as it is there are people on the registry who need help in treatment centers and can't get in. You, you, the reason you and I talked the first time is you called me and you were trying to get somebody on the registry into Odyssey House and we couldn't do it. And do you run yeah. into that all the time? Oh, I run in that constantly um that's why most of the time i have to send people three to four hours out of town in order to get any kind of residential treatment um, I, and there's there's definitely resources lacked and so i i think that that's something that we're like trying to address as well because everybody needs somewhere to go right and i i go into lone peak and i teach communication to the sex offenders in there and they when they're being released, they can't be released without an address and there's just no options for them or places or spaces for them to go. And so it's like, how can we create like opportunity for individuals that are on there that maybe have the lesser charges? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> and the way that I look at it is these are the tools that I have to work with. Um, they've, they've gone in, they've done their time, they have done the therapy that they were assigned to do while in prison. Um, and if I had different tools to use to lower victimization and, you know, get people on the right track, I would use them. But right now, this is what I have to use. And if they want to stop using, then, you know, and 
you know, it's, it's apparent that if they're not using, they're not going to have those, or those thoughts are going to go down. It's, you know, the, the substance isn't going to make that thought okay. Um, so I would much rather get them in a residential treatment than say, hey, there's, there's just no help for you until so, they end up going back to prison. So, so I mean, I, I don't mean to sound sensational, but I used to work in TV news, so I do sound sensational. Uh, there's, so there's actually a, a fair, fairly large group of sex offenders who are addicted to some kind of substance who are out on the street and can't find, can't find treatment even if they want it. Is correct. That, yeah, correct. That, and, and also with a fair amount of these guys, um, I won't say all of them, but, you know, a fair amount of them are also using because of a fair amount of trauma, which I'm not saying makes it okay for what they did, but they're also going through other issues. And like I said, whenever I get an individual housed, get them into some kind of therapy, um, they have something to lose, you know, they, they have a reason to keep being successful to the point where, you know, just like in the last couple of months, I've had a few guys come and say, hey, I feel like reoffending and I don't want to do this. And so we were able to get them into therapy, start monitoring them a little bit more. They were checking in with us all the time. We're able to go in, get their medications checked. And right now we don't have another victim. We just had somebody who came and said, hey, I need help. I don't want to do this and was able to get the help. Do you see a lot, so this is just what I've heard, is that a lot of people that, that do these offenses, they've actually, it's been done to them. Um, it, it's not verified. I mean, from state to state, from study to study says, you know, this is how many people were offended against themselves. Um, as far as whenever I was working with youth offenders, um, the number one commonality that the number one thing that they had in common was a witness domestic violence. Wow. That's an incredible statistic. So I, so is there an answer? Is there a solution to this? I mean, you could, you know, from, from say Odyssey or any treatment center standpoint, if, if we were to, first of all, Rachel described pretty well the, the problems with putting uh, convicted sex offenders into a residential setting with people who have who have been uh, who have been a, a, the victim of, of sex offenders. Okay, there's a problem there. So, yeah. So, and and then another problem is if you try to find a place uh, just to put sex offenders, you've got the not in my backyard kind of issue. I mean, so is there a solution to this? Well. Maybe just, I think that the more education that we get out to people that in all the treatment centers that I've ever been into, they have 24 hour staff, um, they have monitoring, you know, they, they check up on the clients even throughout the night. As far as the community, I think them being in these facilities, we know where they're at, they're being monitored. The community isn't having to pay extra dollars to have the offenders monitor 24 hours a day and they're getting the therapy that they need to lower victimization. Um, the same with housing. That's why I house so many guys is if we know where they're at, if they do do something wrong, we can, we can usually stop them between hopefully at the, you know, I mean, of course we don't want any victims, but if we know where they live, 
we can stop it at one to five instead of 20 to 30 if it is that that person you know what i mean it seems uh, so simple to me that we just need to come up with a with a building and resources um and coping and everything else that people have dealt with trauma in their life right or have made wrong decisions it seems like we just need a space and create this yeah absolutely um i think i think the you know, the more people that get into treatment, the more people that are, especially treatment that also holds accountability in high regards, um, that will go right along with their the sex offender treatment that they already received, so that they're constantly hearing the same thing. Um, I think it's just going to be super beneficial in the long run. It's just what so about me because it's the same feelings as me being in recovery, like losing custody of my kids things like that, like I was not a good person or making right decisions. And that's what I needed. You said that uh -huh. I need somewhere to go to say, hey, I feel like I'm going to, I'm going to use again, right? Or I'm going to reoffend. It seems kind of like this same, the same concepts in a sense, different offenses, but same concepts. Mm -hmm. Well, it's all thinking errors. It's all, you know, it, most of these are not just impulse or kind of thought out. And then whenever you add substance to it that makes that answer okay, yeah. you know, you start getting victims. Um, whenever I worked at a, the last organization that I worked for, <clears throat> I worked there for 13 years, we housed sex offenders and we didn't really care about the background. We did, you know, their offense. We knew that they were an offense. We treated everybody the same. And just at that facility, in the 13 years that we had people there that came from the streets, some of them were the city's highest utilizers of emergency services. They had severe persistent mental illnesses. And the entire time that they lived at the facility, we never had an issue. Never had anybody return back to prison for a sexual offense while taking in case management and living in these places. I mean, knock on wood, I'm not saying that we did something different than everybody else, but we had 24 hour staff, we had cameras in the buildings, we had therapists, we had medications, we had people they could talk to. And these people went from <clears throat> living on the streets, going to the ER every day because there was nowhere else for them to go. You know, whenever you're homeless, your anxiety goes up you know, everything's a crisis, to moving them in, showing them supports, getting them into therapy. We never had a reoffense on our caseload. And that so, was over 10 years. So sort of what you're saying is, is <laughs> it's a lot safer if you could get, if you could get sex offenders into a treatment program than having them be out on the street, uh, perhaps using drugs again. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. But that but um, that's not the way the public sees it, though. They say, I don't want I don't want to live. And I, I, I don't want to uh, hear about a group of sex offenders in my neighborhood or and a, and a treatment program may say well, we're going to take a lot of heat if we start taking if we have a specific sex offender program. Well, and I have I've been to a few different places and I've worked at a few different places that worked with the uh, sex offenders and we got the same thing from all the neighbors. But I think once they started realizing that um, there was already a number of sex offenders already living in their neighborhood, 
and the fact that we were actually going to be monitoring these guys. And I know at my other job, um, if one leaves, uh, one of the first things that we do is notify the sex offender registry that that person has left this location. Um, and we just stay in good communication with their probation officers, parole officers, the sex offender registry, um, and it's worked out. So if you're on this sex registry, then you basically have like a case manager? No. No, so if you're on the sex offender registry, um, what that requires is a minimum that you have to register twice a year, once on your birth month, anytime in your birth month, and six months after. Okay. Anytime, and then we have a thing that we call VEER, and that's uh, Vehicle Education, Employment, and Residence. Any time that there is a change to one of those four things, you have three days to make that change in person at the registry. So if you start a job, quit a job. If you move into a place, move out of a place. If you're, and, and Utah is one of the places where we'll even register somebody if they're homeless um, and we will check. And, but as soon as they get kicked out of that area or trespassed out of that area, they have three days to come in and, you know, they're really, uh, the majority are really good at it. What, what kind of pushback have you gotten from treatment centers when you suggest that, that we need a program for sex offenders? Um, well, a lot of them, what I've noticed is um, a fair amount of them just don't know what the rules are. They think that they automatically can't or they think um, there's a school within a mile of this place so we're not allowed to do that. Or, And that's, that's not the... That's not the case. If they're on probation or parole with like APNP, um, APNP can say you're not gonna live this close to a school or playground or something. But once they're off probation, Utah doesn't have any restrictions on where they live, um, which is good and bad. But I mean, if they live right next to a school, they can live there legally. Um, if the umbrella blows off their deck and it goes onto that property and they go to get it, they're out of compliance for being in a protected area if they have a victim under a certain age. So if in an ideal world, what would be your solution? Well, I, I think that getting units set up to, uh, to work with uh, sex offenders, um, is just gonna benefit the community as far as residential treatment um, not, not to mention whenever they do complete residential treatment, not only whenever I go to a landlord and try to house them to make sure that they don't fall back into that circle, it's really nice to say, look, they've already completed the treatment that they're required to for their sexual offense, which already makes them, you know, 30% more likely to be more successful than somebody who didn't, but they've also gone an extra step. They've, they've made it through this tough, straight up accountability, you know, uh, kind of in your face treatment center. You know, they've been able to take accountability for those actions. Now they're ready to move on to the next step. And, you know, as long as they're bettering their lives or trying to better their lives, I just look at that as, you know, there's a few of them that really want to give back to their victims. You know, they, some of them have been, well, one guy in particular had been, I know for a fact I worked with him for 17 years, but he had been a victim 
um, for years. Um, and it took me, it took us about 15 years to get him clean and sober. He relapsed a thousand times, couldn't get in any treatment centers, would go to detox, wasn't residential treatment. So he was right back out in it. But eventually we were, after 15 years, we were able to get him to a place where he was on Suboxone, was not using, was taking his meds the way he was supposed to. And he wanted to start giving back. That's all he wanted to do was start trying to find ways of giving back to say, I'm not going to do this again. Um, so he was able to actually talk to other offenders, talk to people going down that path and say, you know, don't be like me and mean it. <laughs> you know, he's been homeless for 20 years because of this. Um, and I mean, being homeless didn't help him. The, the you know the the general public perception I think is this is a disgusting crime these people don't deserve anything and there is no public empathy so you're you're fighting an uphill battle uh, really yeah where all I'm at at the end of the day our main goal is to lower victimization is is just to make sure that this doesn't happen again. That's why there's a registry so that we can monitor people to hold them accountable, to keep checking. This is just another tool in lowering victimization. Um, not to mention, I, I also have a belief that nobody deserves to be homeless. Um, I mean, it, I've, I've never seen homelessness solve anybody's problem. I've never seen... Um, I've never seen homelessness stop a sex offense. I've never seen somebody get kicked out of a kick, kicked out of where they're living because of drugs and homelessness helped them in their recovery. I've never seen any of that. So, um, I, you know, it, what what it boils down to is <laughs> you may not have compassion for a sex offender, but in the long run. The communities, in my opinion, is going to be safer uh, if they do have a place to get treatment. Because you know, Rachel and I—I I, I was an alcohol—I am an alcoholic, and she's an addict. And I—and I can speak for myself that I did stupid, stupid, wrong things when I was high that I don't do when I'm sober. Would, would you agree with that, Rachel? Absolutely. I mean, that's what, so as we keep talking about this, it's hard for me not to have this like space in my heart, even though I come from that trauma, there's still a space in my heart because I needed someone to have a space in their heart for me. Right. And I needed to have resources. And so I think that everyone does. And I love how you said, Tim, how you talked about the homelessness. It's, you're absolutely right. Like, thank you for bringing that point up. Um, I, I can't help but wonder and to piggyback off Randall, like it takes a special person, right? To, to not have judgment and to really see past things and to really show up and say, how can we create change? Like you matter, right? And so how did that become for you, Tim? Like you were doing some incredible work and I know that I appreciate it. Where did that, where did that space come from for you? So, um, I don't know. So before I, I mean, I've worked with sex offenders in different aspects for about 20 years um, in one way or another, um, either having to work with them or, or in one way having to deal with it. 
Um, the last place I worked, my job was to house people that had a severe and persistent mental illness that were homeless, get them housed. Well, we started housing these guys. And next thing I know, I had this entire group of guys that hadn't been housed in five years. And then whenever you start talking to people and you're like, why is it this person housed? Why is it this person housed? And it's because they're on the registry. And I was like, well, but my job was, my job was to house the homeless. It didn't say house the homeless unless they have this. It didn't say get them clean and sober first. It didn't say take care. It just said house them. So I started housing them. And then after a while, people started asking questions. And um, my guys weren't going back to jail. They weren't being found in noncompliance. And we knew where they were at. Their quality of life went up. So victimization went down. Like there was no talk of it. Our guys weren't going back to jail. They weren't taking up room in an emergency room because there was no other avenues for them to go whenever it was cold than to try and overdose and go to the hospital. If someone so, is on their registry, right, or if we come across somebody or somebody is on their registry, like what, what suggestions would you give or what advice would you give or what would you tell them so that they have an option? So if you come across somebody on the registry, and you're trying to find them services. Um, <clears throat> right now, that that number's kind of been me. Um, just because my job is to keep people in compliance. If they're having problems with being in compliance, then I meet with them and try to take away that reason. If the reason that they're being non-compliant is substance abuse, then I try to get them into as much treatment as I can. If it's housing, I get them housed. If it's and I think over the three years, I think um, I think it has a little bit over 200. Wow. I mean, it's more than that, but I it's about 200. And the ones that are housed are not in noncompliance. They're not committing other crimes. They're they're checking in. They finally have a place, and you know, some of them have a place, and now they're working on substance abuse. They're working on the things that they couldn't work on while they were on the streets. We're, we're, uh, we're out of time. Uh, if people want to get a hold of you, you work at the Community Connection Center, which is on 5th West at 2nd South, right? Is so that... right now I am at the, the Sex Offender Registry. Oh. So um, if they're on the registry in Salt Lake, it's really easy to find me. And, and you will um, do your best to help. <laughs> I'll do my best to help, but it's, a, it's an up-road it is definitely a fight. And, and you keep bugging people like us to open up our doors to uh, somebody on the, on the registry for treatment, right? It's gonna keep happening, I'm not gonna lie. Well, you'll you probably get a couple calls from me this week. <laughs> <laughs> You're fighting a good fight. And, I, and again, it, I, it, it, to me, it's not, it's not an issue of saying, oh, it's okay if you're on the sex offenders registry. It's, a, it's the reality of the fact that you will get out of prison or jail or whatever at some point, and you are going to have to try to live your life and the streets are safer if you're doing it sober as opposed to high. I mean, is that true? Yeah, well, and even once you move into a place, it's better to have your neighbor be clean and sober with all this treatment behind them than with nothing. Rachel, I give them some tools to be successful. Rachel, a final thought before we go? 
Yeah, so coming from the individual that's that's been through the trauma um, myself, like I can't help but hope that we do come up with a solution for these individuals because human beings are human beings, right? And um, it is a lot safer and they deserve like resources as well. And I don't know, deserves kind of like a strong word, but everybody deserves like a space. And if we provide that space, then it would be better for our community, right? And Tim, like, you're incredible. Like, thank you for the work that you're doing and the different perspective you. That you brought into my life just in this half an hour. So thank you. Rachel, well, thank it's you. been great having you as a co-host. I, I think you. we'll hire you for another show, okay? Thank you. Yeah. I'm excited. This is our 64th uh, Odyssey House <laughs> Journals podcast. Awesome. And as I said, you can uh, you can get, you can just, just Google Odyssey House Journals podcast and it'll tell you where you can listen to them or find them to watch them. Uh, and, and even though we're not, we're obviously with a name, we're sort of pushing Odyssey House, but because it's Odyssey House Journals, but if you'd like any information on treatment, uh, just call our admissions office at 801-322-3222. And we will be back again next week with Rachel, not with Tim. Tim will still be calling treatment centers saying, please let this person in. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for watching. Have a good day. Thank you. Thanks.